Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. So my name is Chris Wilson. I have the privilege of being the worship pastor here at Real Life Church, and I'm just excited. I'm usually up here leading worship and singing and praising God, and our team just did an awesome job this morning. I am really blessed that I can be able to even teach and have the team still, you know, just do a phenomenal job. So I'm thankful for that. So uh, just a little bit about me, if you don't know me at all, I, uh, we've been here for about two years, my wife and I, in Pullman, a little over. We moved in June of 2019 here, and before then, I spent five years in Tennessee, and I interned at a church for a little bit, and then I ended up working there for about five years part-time and getting a degree. It's a um, just ministry theology degree. Uh, I got that specifically to make a lot of money. So that's why I got that, and it's very useful. It's, you know, so just like, you know, mechanical engineering and all that stuff, it's the same, right? Same thing. So anyway, I have, I got that there and finished out my college there, finished working at the church, met my wife at that church. We've been married for five years, over five years now, and she is a awesome woman and who just loves the Lord and puts up with a lot. Yes. (laughs) She is a really good woman. So, and if you've been tracking with us, you know that this last year has been a tough, long year. And our son, Evan, has had uh, one open heart surgery this year. And at the end of last year, he had another one. So he's had two in total. Um, And we got a picture of him right here. He got his first F-150. So his inner hick is just coming out. And I love it because I got a big inner hick. So I'm enjoying it. I have a Silverado, so I'm a little bit like, eh, you know, but it's still a truck and it's fine. And so anyway, grandparents came in to spoil them and had a good time. And so anyway, he is doing great. And if you have prayed for him, if you have kind of walked with us through that journey, I just want to say thank you. He is doing really well. And we just take, we take day by day and trust God with, with his health and everything going on. So that's just a little bit about me. Um, so we are in our second week of our series, Bucket List Christianity, okay? And last week, if you missed it, a quick recap, Corbin talked about the importance of reading your Bible, and more specifically, he talked about making it a goal to read the entire Bible. So maybe you've been a Christian for 10 years, and you're like, yeah, I've done that five times, you know, or 10 times once a year. Maybe you've been a Christian for 10 years, you haven't done it once all the way through. That's okay. Don't feel bad. If you missed that message, you should go back and watch it. It was really good. One of the things he did that I really liked in that message is he talked about one of his favorite verses in Romans 6. And uh, if anybody has like a life verse or something that they're like, yeah, that's my verse I go back to, you know, I cling to. It's like, this is like my verse. It gets me through some days, right? He used the, uh, you know, one of those verses and then he said, what's going on around that? And then he kind of went, what's going on around that? And he read a bunch, and it was one of those like, oh, we're getting the full picture of what's going on uh, in Romans 6 instead of just this one little chunk. So again, I just encourage you, if you missed that message, go back, check it out. Uh, You know, it really is a worthy goal as a Christian to read through the entire Bible. And one of the things about the series that's kind of cool is some of it, like I'm teaching on baptism today and what it looks like to lead somebody to the Lord. uh, And I'm focusing more on the baptism side. And because I think those things really go hand in hand together when someone comes to the Lord and gets baptized. So I'm teaching on that. Corbin taught about reading the Bible and, and making it a goal. Some of the things are like really ordinary Christian things that we all can do and accomplish. And, and it's not something that, yeah, maybe in 10 years from now, I'll lead somebody to the Lord or baptize them. I'll make that a life goal type of thing like that. That reading the word of God, that should be stuff we are doing every day. We are, we're focusing on like, who are we reaching for Christ? How are we living out our faith, right? And there's a couple things like Thad's going to teach in a couple weeks about taking a spiritual pilgrimage to Israel and Turkey. And that's expensive. 
That is a great goal. I think everybody in the room should do it. I've had the privilege of going to Israel, and it's phenomenal. But it's one of those things that not everybody gets to do, and it doesn't make you any better or worse, right? It's one of those, like, it's just a cool thing. So what I like today is, you know, talking about baptism, it's a little bit more, you know, it's tangible to our everyday lives right now. So my goal here is in half an hour, which... Oh, I need God's help. I'm going to get through what I want to paint a picture of uh, what the whole Bible says about baptism, okay? I'm not going to read all the scripture. We'd be here for a long, long time. I'm not going to explain all the theories. I'm not going to explain all the rebuttals to the theories, but I want to give you a simple, hopefully, picture of what God's word says about baptism and what it means for you and me today. Before I kind of jump in, because I'm going to blow through it because it's a lot of material, uh, that I think will hopefully will be helpful. I want to just pray and just give this message to God. Maybe uh, you've been thinking about getting baptized. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've wanted to talk to about baptism and you haven't known what to say. Wherever you're at, I want to just go ahead and pray and just uh, ask God's spirit to just soften our hearts today and for us just to listen to him. So, Lord, we just thank you we get to be here. We thank you for your word, Lord, that we get to learn from, we get to... Just see your heart in. God, I pray that if there is anybody that has been thinking about baptism or considering, Lord, you just work on their heart today. God, that it wouldn't be my words, it'd be yours. And we just give this message to you. It's in Jesus' name we all say, amen, amen. Well, so the first thing I want to talk about in terms of baptism is it's really easy to think with baptism. You know, in the first century AD, Jesus shows up, obviously, right? And John the Baptism comes right before him and uh, is baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. So there's this, uh, this guy, this crazy wild guy baptizing, who's John the Baptist. And then Jesus comes, he gets baptized, starts becoming like a thing for Jesus' followers. But the whole Bible, really, there's lots of pictures that God gives of delivering his people through water. Okay, so I want to start at the Old Testament, give you a couple examples to hopefully we can kind of wrap our minds around that this is not a new thing to God. This is not something he, you know, one day is like, oh, we should use water. No, it's all part of his plan. So the first example I want to give is the Red Sea. So I think Corbin talked about it a couple months ago. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of stories and stuff to get through today. But So the Israelite people are enslaved. They're entrapped. They're living the Egyptian way. Okay, They're worshiping the Egyptian gods. They have uh, Some of them definitely have forgotten about God or thought, well, Yahweh abandoned us, right? We've been enslaved for a long time. That's where they're living. So what happens? Moses eventually, God calls Moses. Moses says, I'm not the guy. Through a whole series of events and plagues and stuff, God uses Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, God's chosen people, out of enslavement. Okay? And so one of the cool things about, like, a turning point, in a sense, of of when they were delivered is when Moses parted the Red Sea and they went through it. So we get this imagery of they were living this sinful life, they're enslaved, right? They're not where they want to be, but they think God's abandoned us. They've abandoned God, right? They're living this way, and then God brings them through water, and through bringing them through water was a symbol of them trusting him after that. Because what do they do after that? They're in the desert. They're wandering. They're figuring out where to go. They're literally trusting God to provide uh, manna, like bread on the ground, Okay, they're, provide, they're trusting God to provide water, food, uh, deliverance with a cloud by day and fire by night, like guiding them. They are trusting in God like they never have. 
okay? And so the next example I want to give is the flood. And before I dive into this a little bit, I want to go ahead and read 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21. And it's in your notes, so you can follow along. It should be up on screen as well. It says, To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism, which now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. Saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're saved through baptism. So, again, if we look at the picture of the flood, what's going on? The world has become so corrupt. You know, it says that there's something there about, like, God's heart is grieved he made mankind. You know, it's easy for me, and I think a lot of us, you know, you hear all the time, man, our world's, you know, it's, it's getting bad, and people are leaving the faith and walking away from morality and all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, I can feel that way, but you kind of wonder, what was the world like back then that was like, it grieved God that he made man, it was so bad. And I kind of wonder, then I'm like, I don't think I really want to know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm going to trust God with that one, that sounds pretty bad. So the world is in that state, and Noah, who's a righteous man, you know, I'm sure affected by all that, right? But he's remained righteous to God. Him and his wife and his sons and their wives, they build this boat. They get ridiculed for it, all the things there. Build this boat and God delivers them through water into a literal new world, okay? Where they're starting over and they're trusting God. They're trusting the same thing. They're trusting God for food. They're trusting God for shelter, protection, all these things, right? They're trusting God. So they're delivered from this old corrupt world, into trusting God. I want to read you a quick excerpt from, there's a, a Presbyterian minister named Adriel Sanchez, and out of this article, Three Old Testament Pictures of Baptism You Should Know, somebody sent it to me, it was a really good article. This helps kind of tie these two stories together and just words it better than I can, so I just want to read this for you really quick. He says, Baptism is a picture of salvation through judgment. Just as Noah and his family were delivered through the flood water, the children of Israel were delivered from the Egyptian army through the Red Sea. The magnificent scene is recounted for us in Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And there's more examples in the Old Testament. I'm not going to get into every single one, but again, if you kind of wrap your mind around the imagery that God gives of his people being delivered through water. Another one that's a little bit different is you think of like the life of Jonah. He gets basically like corrected through water, through this whole thing of like getting thrown off a boat in a big storm because yeah, God's mad at me. He's making it happen. And uh, he gets swallowed by a big fish, is what the text says. And I'm terrified of sharks, so I think, oh gosh, was it a shark? Probably wouldn't have made it if it was. But that's just me speculating at that point. Probably a whale or something, but through God's intervention, he ends up back on dry land somehow, some way, and to go preach to the Ninevites, which he didn't want to do. And so that's a, you know, it's, it's just interesting how God uses water in a lot of different ways to either deliver or correct his people. So if we kind of fast forward, that's some Old Testament pictures and examples and things like that. And there's more there. Those are kind of the biggest ones. If we go closer to the New Testament around three, um, 
uh, BC or 300, I'm sorry, 300, the third century BC, uh, archaeologists started uncovering all these mikvah baths. And scholars wrote about all these mikvah baths around uh, Israel and just Middle Eastern areas, okay? And so what those were about, again, we're getting closer to the time of Jesus, closer to the New Testament writing at that point. And what those were about is Jewish people would dunk themselves in these baths, they would be baptized into them, and then they would go up to the temple and worship, go up to the synagogue and worship, okay? So with that, that's another example of how it is just entrenched in Jewish culture, this idea of being cleansed, being baptized in a sense. And a lot of it had to do with like ritual cleansing and the Levitical laws that God put in place. And a a lot of it was a lot more like, if you think of going through the motions, you know, for some some Jewish people, it might have been like, yeah, cleansing of the heart. But I think for the most part, it was one of those, like, I got to get my body cleansed. That's why Peter talks about it's not just a, a body cleansing, right, before I worship God. So if we look at the life of Jesus, I want to just tie this in a little bit. Something that Jesus does that is one of my favorite things that he does is he ties, he takes external things that people do and talk about and rules and laws and all these things, and he puts a mirror to him. He looks back at the heart. It's not as much about the actual thing, but about the heart behind the thing. So I want to give you a couple examples from Jesus' life and ministry that help kind of, kind of give this this example. So first one is uh, every guy's life first, which is Matthew 5.28, looking at a woman lustfully. That's where every guy turns. Not really. And it also applies to women looking at men lustfully. Okay, so you don't get off the hook, right? But we get this picture of what's happening here is the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that time were kind of the spiritual religious elite, And they kept challenging Jesus. They kept pushing him. They kept trying to make him mess up and say something that violated God's law, violated the Torah, because they wanted to get rid of him. He was in there stirring up the scene, calling them out on their heart sin. They wanted to get rid of him. So with this one, he uses the example of, you, and he did a lot of these, you heard that it has been said. So he says, you heard that it is said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. I'm paraphrasing a couple of these things for you. So he takes it, you know, extra, you know, in a sense, like extra far. You can kind of imagine people on the scene probably going, whoa, that's a lot more than we've been taught, you know? But again, Jesus never came to create a new law or to abolish the old law. He really came to fulfill the one God already put in place. Because if you, you think of someone committing adultery, most of the time, sometimes it's secret, it's hidden, right? But most of the time, people see that. And it's hard, and it's damaging. But what you don't always see is someone on the inside, their inside thought life, their heart life. It's not as easy to detect. So God, you know, Jesus says, watch out. Watch out, watch your heart. Look at your heart. Another one is honoring the Sabbath. So again, multiple times the Pharisees and Sadducees are pushing against him, trying to get him to say something wrong and mess up so they can nail him on, you know, like just get him for something, right? And so what happens in one of the situations is, you know, they took the Sabbath as very much rest. We can't, don't lift a finger, don't do anything. And on one occasion, Jesus healed a guy. He made him well. And they, they pushed him. They said, hey, you can't heal somebody. You're working. You're doing work. You're breaking God's law. 
And again, what does Jesus do? He points it back to the heart. He says, it's not about just sitting there and doing nothing, right? Or reading the word of God all day. Like it's about where your heart's at, about what, what you're doing to show God that you love him. What you're doing to show where your heart's at. Okay, so we get these, these things where Jesus is continuously looking at the heart. It's like, don't look at, and you know, God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outside as men do. We see that in the Old Testament. So I say these things because I think baptism is 100% just like these things. It is very entrenched in the Jewish culture to be, go through these mikvahs to worship. That's a normal thing. They know the Old Testament stories. They know these things. But what Peter talks about is it's not about cleaning dirt. It's about the heart. It's about the heart of what you're doing. So I want to share a quick story. I thought it was kind of cool. About uh, three, four weeks ago, I went to youth camp with Corbin. And it was a lot of fun. And he's like, hey, come do worship and do some teaching stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. And so it was an awesome week of kids just worshiping God. I have never been anywhere where a group of 50, 60 kids were just singing out. It was so cool. So as a worship pastor, I'm like, yes, that's awesome. But another thing that he had me do is we did Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There was three workshops. I taught one of them. And uh, the goal was to get every kid rotating through these three workshops, okay? And he did something really dangerous. He said, you can teach on whatever you want. And I'm like, really? Well, within reason. Okay, yeah, right. But whatever you want. So I had to, you know... That's good and bad, because I'm like, well, if you give me a subject, I can kind of run with it, you know, but I'm also like, ah, what do you just teach about? And so I was kind of thinking, praying through um, what I should talk to these kids about. And one thing that I'm really passionate about is, you know, I love learning more about God's word and, uh, you know, theology and what my degree is in and that type of stuff. But I also really am interested in science and how that relates to God's word. And, you know, I believe God created everything and he's the author and he created all these things we know and call and see and test as science, okay? So I wanted to talk to the kids a little bit about some controversial subjects, like, hey, I know you're taught evolution in school. Let's talk about that. Let's break it down. Let's look at micro, macro. How does that relate to the faith? How can it not relate to your faith? That type of thing. We talked about uh, some Big Bang cosmology stuff. We talked about some theories of creationism. So we got, I nerded out on them big time. It was a lot of fun. And what you saw is like the kids that they get to choose. So the kids on the first day were like, yeah, this is cool. This is okay. I'm learning. And yeah, this other stuff I'm taught in school. Okay, whatever. And second day was kind of medium. And third day, the kids are like, are we done? Like, I want to go do something else. You know, they were like, oh, it's the last day type of deal. But it was pretty cool because, you know, one thing that happened and one thing I taught on with that is I have an image up here I want to share with you that's been really influential in my faith journey. And I got this from my pastor in Tennessee, and uh, he's used this to teach on some things. And what this is, is regarding your faith, this is essential, important, and personal elements. I don't know about everybody here, but when I became a Christian, I really felt like you get this whole large package. You know what I mean? Like there's all this stuff I got to learn and know and study and and it's just overwhelming. So this has helped me kind of break down, like, what are the essential parts of being a Christian and following Jesus? What are the important parts and what are the personal parts? And the personal elements are, are kind of like, you know, God's word talks about, but it's really not very clear on, you know, and I kind of use this to talk about like, well, some of the, uh, how God created and the time frame and stuff like that falls a little bit more on the personal element side. And I talked, so I was using that example for them. 
And uh, at one point, I won't have y'all fill any of this out. You can use your imagination. But I had all the kids, I had a whiteboard, and hey, fill this out. Tell me what you think. Because certain people disagree on the important and personal. Uh, and so at one point, I put baptism, I talk about baptism a little bit, I put it in the important element. So I put it right in the middle. Almost touching the essential, but still in the important. Like per, pretty, pretty important, right? And so again, we're talking about all this stuff. We're talking a little bit about evolution, talking about, you know, Big Bang stuff and creationism. And, you know, I'm getting, and I did a Q&A at the end, which is probably a bad idea, but I did it anyway. And, you know, where dinosaurs come from? I don't know. Ask somebody else, you know, and all this stuff where I'm just like, oh, I did this to myself, right? So that was a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed that. But one of the kids at the end uh, who was really, she actually came to me after first. She's like, hey, that was me. I asked that question. I was like, yeah, you did. So she asked a really good question, and it surprised me a little bit because she said, wait a minute, I, I've always been taught that baptism was you know, purely personal. I've never even thought, oh, that's you know, even that important. Like, I'll do it sometime. Yeah, it's somewhat important, but it's not something that really is you know, paramount or defines my faith. You know, this is a really, it was a really good question, and I walked through some stuff I'm going to walk you through, but this is a really important topic that a lot of churches and a lot of Christians don't either think about too much, or it is just an extra, like, say the prayer, you know what I mean? Like, give your life to the Lord, and whenever you're ready, later on, you can get baptized down the way. Whenever it's convenient, whenever family's there, that type of deal, okay? Some denominations believe in sprinkling, that that's all you need at birth, type of deal, you don't need a personal uh, decision later on to get baptized. So part of the scripture I'm going to walk you through is I believe that it's actually a lot more simple than a lot of times we make it, that the Bible, the Bible teaches water baptism by immersion, and that's the normative way, the normative way that someone comes to the Lord and receives the Holy Spirit. God can work in other ways. We see that some in the New Testament that God works in other ways, but this is like the normative pattern we see in the New Testament. So I want to take you through the first part of the book of Acts. This is where I started with the girl. I said, hey, let's turn to Acts and read some stuff, okay? But before I do, what's happening in Acts 2, this is your one homework assignment for the day, okay? The only one I'm asking. You can do it in the week if you want some time, but read all of Acts 2. Because like Corbin talked about last week, you take one part, take a bigger part, take a bigger part, but you really got to read the whole thing to fully kind of grasp the magnitude of it. So Acts 2, I'll just give you a brief summary and then we'll get into it. It's Pentecost has come, the Holy Spirit has fallen on God's people, God's, uh, Jesus' apostles are there, right? His disciples' apostles are there, and um, the Holy Spirit's fallen. In the very beginning, people, they're speaking in different tongues, and there's crazy stuff happening, people are like, they're drunk, they're crazy, like, what's going on with these people? And so Peter gets up, and there's thousands of people listening to Peter at this point, wherever they're at, there's thousands of people. It's a big place where he can talk and they can hear. So I'm going to start in verse 22 through 24, then uh, 32 through 40. So it'll be up here and in your notes. So follow along with me. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, catch that part, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God has raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. 
going on to 32 through 40. God has raised Jesus to life. He's just preaching at him, right? God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom he crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 30 is kind of like the, you know, the pinnacle of this chapter in a lot of ways. Because they're saying, what should we do? Peter replied, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So I read this because it's just really rich in the early church history of what baptism looked like. And it's a really good place to start when you're talking about Christian baptism. And it's pretty cool here, you know, 3,000 people becoming followers of Jesus that day. That, that's, that's crazy cool, right? And, you know, something that I've easily skipped over reading this, just reading through the Bible, is the whole situation of what's really happening right there. It's totally Holy Spirit falling on the place stuff. Because Peter gets up and he says this really elegant, cool, good speech, you know, bringing back prof- prophecy, talks a little bit about words of Joel, um, you know, words of David, stuff like that. But then his really, like his punchline of the sermon is like, you killed Jesus. <laughs> he basically called people murderers. Like, hey, you killed the Messiah we have been waiting for that has been prophesied about. Two times in there he says, but you killed the Messiah. So he doesn't really mince words, right? And one thing that if you've read through the New Testament and specifically read through the book of Acts and also like uh, the Pauline um, epistles and stuff like that, Paul's letters, what you see is usually when an apostle comes and preaches the word, especially to Jews, Jews, usually what happens is bad things happen when they call people out for sin and they say, you should follow Jesus, he's the Messiah. Just like the Pharisees, they call them blasphemers. And I think it was 11, maybe 12 historians kind of argue and don't totally know, but most of the disciples, if not all of them, died really bad deaths for their faith, for preaching this word. Paul was stoned. He was, he was stoned one time. He said he got thrown out of the city because they thought he was dead after they stoned him, and he survived. So this is like understanding how God's moving here of such a bold thing to tell people the truth in that way and what do they do? They don't kick him out. They don't stone him. They don't reject him. By God's spirit, they say, you're right. What do we do? They're cut to the heart. I don't know if you've ever, you know, done something wrong that you knew was really wrong or somebody, you know, has come to you and called you out. I've had it happen for sure and said, hey, you really messed up or you said something bad or that was just wrong. And you get that like, oh, you're cut to the heart. You know, you got that like feeling in your, in your chest or in your gut where you're just like, oh, yeah. I messed up. And, you know, what's the question? Like, what do I do? How do I make it right? And so, again, when they ask, what do we do? He replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So again, this is like a really good place to start when we're looking at baptism. There's a, a couple other things with baptism. We get uh, a lot, like just like the Old Testament, we get a lot of really good imagery that God gives us that goes with baptism. So when we get a little bit further in the New Testament, I want to read Romans 6, 1 through 4, and it should be uh, on the screen in your notes, so follow along. And there's this idea of washing away your sins and being born again, if you've heard that terminology. So Paul says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those that have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we see this, this symbol of living a new life. And I got a picture here. This is also from uh, my pastor in Tennessee. And he's one of those guys that's like a walking encyclopedia of Bible knowledge. And so I was like, hey, Bobby, I'm teaching on baptism. Can you send me, you know, a couple pictures, a couple things I want to use? And he sent me like five articles and all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, right? And so this gives us that idea of when we come to faith, when we say, you know, we repent and are baptized, we are buried with Christ, and just as Jesus raised from the dead, and that's even that the Peter passage talked about it, it's because of the resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus raised from the dead, we can be resurrected with him. We live this new life because of what Jesus has done. And so one thing that is difficult, we kind of start getting, okay, like here's what it looks like to get baptized. Okay, we're raising from the dead. We start understanding it. One thing that can be difficult is the idea of repentance. What are you repenting of? When someone comes to the faith, it, it can be difficult to be like, yeah, I, I know, you know, what does that really mean? I know I'm a sinner, you know, I shouldn't lie, I shouldn't steal, you know, like the normal stuff, you know. But this is the part where, like Corbin talked about, when you read God's full word, you get a really good understanding and idea of what God considers wrong and right, right and wrong. Like you get an understanding of where God's heart's at. But I want to read you Galatians five nineteen through 21. It's not an exhaustive list of sins, but it gives us a whole lot of them, okay? And again, Paul correlates the works of the flesh, like the old way of living, the works of the flesh with sin. So in 5, 19 through 21 ESV, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we start understanding what it looks like to put off the old self. And I'm about to read a passage that uses the terminology of putting off the old self and putting on the new self in Christ, being buried in our sin, dying to sin, and being raised just as Jesus has been raised. And there's also this sense, I'm going to read Colossians 3. It's not in your notes. I add that in because it's just a helpful passage. But the beginning of Colossians 3 helps us also know, like, okay, I get the sin part, I get the repentance part, I get why I should do it, all that stuff, but like, what do I do after? You know, it can be kind of like, well, am I just good now? Am I good to go living for Christ? So the beginning of Colossians, it says, in this first part, catch this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So again, 
not the things of this world, the acts of the flesh, the things that the world chases after, money, fame, sex, not that stuff. Don't seek that anymore. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, reading on here, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's that picture of your, your dead in Christ with your baptism, right? Your sins are gone with that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And there's the raising with Christ part again. So this next part talks a little bit about the sin, and then I just want to read it because it talks about the putting off of the old self, which I really like like that. So verse 5 is, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. You've got to put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So again, if I can have you walk away understanding like one thing about baptism and living for Christ, it is the idea that we are putting off the old self. We can't do it without the help of God. It's impossible. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit we can put off the old self and put on the new self. We're dead with Christ in baptism and we're raised up a new person living a new life. And one thing about that that we have to understand, it's not easy. It's not some easy, like, well, you're dunked and you're good now. It is a lifelong thing that you got to walk out. I was listening to, I thought this was interesting. I was listening to a pastor uh, that was at uh, my church growing up. Before I was in Tennessee, I was in Virginia, and I grew up there. And he did a quick 10-minute thing about some of the context of early baptism and stuff. And he talked about, there was a guy named Josephus, if y'all have heard his name. He was a contemporary of Paul. And in that time, baptism in the language was almost like correlated with violence, which I hadn't heard before. I thought that was really interesting. And it's almost like he gives a couple images, and one of them is like a ship sinking, and it was baptized into the water. I don't want that kind of baptism because I want to be raised again, right? So it's like, well, that's not a very good image of baptism because that's missing half of it. You know what I mean? And another one that's kind of graphic is like Josephus talks about a sword being plunged into somebody who was baptized into the person. It's like, ugh. It doesn't give you very good, like, I don't know about that kind of baptism, right? Like, ah, that's kind of weird. But I give you that example because it is not easy. Sometimes it's a violent process working toward God. Sometimes, you know, when the Holy Spirit starts working on people, I've seen people just lost in drugs, lost in worldly things, partying, drunkenness. It's like, how can I ever leave that? It's not an easy thing. Sometimes it's a violent process of saying, no, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to give that up because this is better. Because God has given me new life, and I know that. I'm going to seek the things that are above. But it's not easy. A lot of times it's not easy at all. So we need the help of the Lord. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. So I just, as I'm starting to wrap up, I want to just make the call to you that if you've been thinking about baptism hopefully this gives you a place to kind of, okay, I'm starting to understand it a little bit more. I am happy to talk to you. We got Corbin, Alex is happy to talk to you. Maybe, you know, hopefully if there's somebody in your life that, you know, a family member, a friend that is interested, this might give you something to talk to them about and say, hey, I, 
I know a little bit more about what God's word says. Again, I want this to be, listen to the scripture, see what it teaches, see what the early Christian has done as people we want to, as Christians nowadays, how can we model the New Testament and how the early Christians did it? So I want to just make the call to you that if God's working on your heart, talk to one of us. It's easy to set up the baptismal. We'd love to help you help you get there if that's a decision you want to make. So before I go into communion, uh, the last story I want to give that I just, it really helps me when I think about baptism is in Acts 8, it's a story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'm going to paraphrase this, so if I butcher it, just I'm sorry about that, but how the story goes is there's a queen guard, queen's guard, Ethiopian eunuch, that is riding on a chariot into some town. I couldn't tell you which town. He's riding on a chariot into a town, and uh, one of God's guys, Philip, God says the Holy Spirit tells him, hey, go ride with him. And I would imagine that'd be like, oh, that's weird, but okay, I'm going to go do it. He was bold with what the Holy Spirit told him to do. And the Ethiopian eunuch is uh, just happened to be reading Isaiah, scripture in Isaiah, talking, it's a prophecy about Jesus. So, assumingly, he was a Jew that was reading scripture, trying to understand the heart of God, the word of God more. And Philip comes and I don't know how the whole thing happened. Like, hey, who's that guy in our chariot? That's kind of weird. I think that's weird. But anyway, so the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, can you explain this to me? Like, what's going on here? I just don't, I want to understand. And so it's pretty cool to think that, you know, Philip, what he does is he says, yeah, I can explain that. Like, that just happened not that long ago in Jerusalem. And Jesus came, and he was the promised Messiah. He was the one that was put to death and raised again for our sin. And so what happened on that chariot is they're riding. The Ethiopian eunuch is hearing the gospel. He's understanding it. There's repentance happening. Okay. And he sees some water. And along the way, guess what happens? He said, hey, I understand. I want to I follow Jesus. I want to do that. Can I be baptized? And Philip says, yeah. And they go baptize him. And that story is so cool because it's really easy nowadays to kind of say, well, do it later on do it later on, you know, it's okay, make sure you're in the right place, that type of thing, you know, make sure there's towels, make sure your family's there, that type of thing, which none of that is wrong, okay, none of it's bad to have your family there, or understand, you should understand, but we get this sense from the New Testament, it's like, you believe and you're baptized, there's no reason to wait, to live in that new life, to be buried in your sin, and raised again, again, the whole idea of pledging a clear conscience toward God, Not just removing dirt from your, but not just doing ritualistic things, but actually saying, like putting your stake in the ground and saying, no, I want to live for Christ. And this is my first step to do it. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.